Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, and we start and discuss about something that we never, never discuss, cloud and application security. (laughs) It's something that we have covered extensively, something that we see the industry changing, it's something that we see a convergent changing. And we want to explore today with Dustin that has joined us from Fartran. So Dustin is a very good partner in this dynamic discussion and especially in AppSec discussion that I would like you guys to meet. And I've invited them on the podcast for this. Dustin is the Director of Application Security for Firetran, has experience in different organizations. But without me chatting about your background, Dustin, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell our audience where you're coming from? How did you start in this industry? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. And Certainly love chatting about these topics. (laughs) So my background is in uh, software development. So I was a software engineer for uh, 13 years before I officially got into security. Variety of different industries, uh, worked on video games, worked in retail, uh, even worked for the DoD a bit. Always kind of had security around on the mind, uh, even from, you know, the days of studying computer science at school. You know, I did have great instructors that did emphasize quality uh, and security, which I think was a little bit rare. Uh, I feel like Mm -hmm. that's something that's lacking in the education uh, focus today. So always kind of had that on my mind. And certainly when I I got into the DoD, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on security. So just kind of started going down the rabbit hole, you know, learning more and more about best practices. And especially when I, you know, spent a couple of years as a application architect, the focus changed a little bit, right? It went from Mm -hmm. build it to build it right and mentor other people. You know, there were developers that were working on the actual features and making it work. I was focused a little bit more on resiliency and maintainability and quality and, you know, kind of making sure that we're building a great system. And that's when I really got into security as being one of those quality elements. Yeah. And then um, from there, got into security and then pretty quickly got into security leadership where I've been ever since. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And it's, it's an interesting journey because especially for software developer out there, we need more of you. We need we need all of you. <laughs> and it's it one thing that struck me from from what you just described is you you make a very good similarity or or, or association between quality and security. Is that something that yeah I, I've rarely seen it done, but but I love when it's when it's brought forward. What do you think? Yeah, to be completely honest, uh, my focus has always been on quality software quality, right? Mm -hmm. Beyond just making it work, thinking about how do we make it maintainable, performance, uh, you know, all the things that go into quality, testing edge cases, you know, doing what we can to build out those great uh, test cases, etc. And I've always seen security as being one aspect of it. It's Mm -hmm. also one aspect that 
people take very seriously, right? So it's one thing to say, hey, we should build quality software. Great. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of times these same controls or similar controls that you need to put into place for quality, you need to do for security as well. Right. So I find it very helpful to come to the table from the security angle and say, hey, there's a lot of things we need to do for security, which then naturally builds out better quality software. Mm-hmm. So that's like kind of my, my hidden sneaky little goal here is it's all about quality software and security is <laughs> the path to get there. So you're a software developer in disguise of a security professional in disguise of a software quality developer. <laughs> <laughs> Complicated. <laughs> Multiple hat as as we all as we all do. But no, that's that's great. And as we touch on this subject, how have you seen in, in your multiple role as as the role has evolved, especially from software development and, and architecture into more security? How have you seen the industry changing or what what is the trending that you have seen of late? Yeah, and it, it kind of goes back to Another reason that I joined the industry is because I was not really happy with the direction it was going. And I felt like I wanted to be part of shifting it to be better. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is we've, we've all felt this, I think, as developers, you know, the pressure and the judgment from the security team, right? Like they used to get excited when they found something because they could like, tell you how poorly you were doing, you know, and it wasn't encouraging. It, it wasn't motivating. It right. was demotivating. And frankly, what I see in terms of trends is that we're digging out of that. We have mm-hmm. more of a pragmatic approach. It's not perfect security. It's not judgment. It's not ivory tower. It's more partnership and mm-hmm. being reasonable and practical and building good relationships and working together toward a solution, right? It's not the opposite of no, that blocks progress. It's how can we build what we're building better and how do we get there together? And that's certainly been my approach. And that's where I think the industry is going and and it's completely for the better. So we seem to have learned the lesson that collaboration is better than walls. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, exactly. this was the principle of DevOps. I, I think that happened before even security with DevOps when uh, you had operation and development as, as two separate walls. So we, we get it. We get in there. I think there is a long, long road because we, there is the traditional security folks that are struggling with this new approach because on the opposite of that side and collaboration, there needs to be, I think, empathy and understanding that sometimes require upskilling on understanding how the software development work. And a lot of our security folks, especially in Europe, US is a little bit different landscape. They don't come from software development background and they have they struggle to understand that. So they, I think the industry feels, everybody feels a little bit overwhelmed by the complexity of it. And then on that subject, actually, because you mentored and, and you grew a lot, of, a lot of teams, I wanted to ask you, how do you nourish teams into getting into this kind of new environment and avoiding completely terrorizing them by the complexity of it? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I do I like the conversations that the industry is having about this topic. You know, how do we find talent? How do we grow talent? You know, I, I do think that it's good to have mentors, you know, the experienced folks on your team, but 
I don't think your entire team should be comprised of those types. Uh, I think there's plenty of opportunities. First of all, it's hard to find them. There's really not a lot of people that kind of have that perfect blend of cloud and security and development and pen testing and like all this stuff. But, you know, some do. Some do. (laughs) They're just hard to find. So it's like, you know, we need to kind of lower expectations to build a, a team full of them, right? Have one or two and then build essentially a talent pipeline mm-hmm. where you can grow talent, right? Start start with an intern, you know, a cybersecurity intern that's maybe, you know, maybe jumps around and, and does tasks for all the different teams in cybersecurity until you find the right fit and then have entry-level positions and don't expect to find those perfect purple unicorns, right. you know, uh, grow them based on where they are, you know, and, and really, you know, work with them. It takes time, mm-hmm. but I think the benefits are great because they will grow up in your environment, uh, which I think, you know, builds loyalty and also um, get some really familiar with the way your environment works. And then it's a little bit of a, you know, it, it's a contribution to the industry. Because now you've grown some somebody mm-hmm. and maybe they want to go somewhere else. Great. You know, that's fine. They certainly should go where they want to go. But now somebody else gets somebody that's experienced, right? So I, I really strongly believe that if you're only hiring the super experienced people, you're relying on other companies to train them up to that mm-hmm. level. Yeah. And it feels very one way, you know, almost selfish. Like, I'm just going to take all the experienced people that you've created and you I maybe think we have too back. much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I think I think I was remembering a post that the ex-director of Netflix from cybersecurity director posted that only the one percent can actually hire those consistently those T shapes, and what happened to the other ninety nine percent of the organization? If you know the fangs or the mangs, as as they they've been renamed now can suck all that talent out. Not everybody wants to work for, for those organizations, so luckily for everybody, but how do we help upskilling that talent? Yeah, and everybody has something to contribute. I think it comes down to fit. You know, I think we can all say we're all looking for the same people, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. I think we're looking for people that do fit our culture, You know what we're trying to accomplish, and that you know it becomes unique company to company. So. Right. Yeah, I you know, there's not this perfect like archetype of uh, of talent that we should be pursuing. You know, it's finding who fits and then filling in the rest. And and on that subject, I think you touched it several times, especially in application security program. In this program that requires more selling skill than anything else, is finding those soft skills other than just the technical skill that makes an employee all rounded because you can find the best technology person that goes around and, <laughs> and shout at everybody and, and you achieve almost nothing, right? Yeah, there's there's a balance there, you know, between soft and hard skills that I think is important, especially for AppSec folks. But you can grow, I think you can grow one or, one or the other, you know, so building out that diversity of skills on your mm-hmm. team is a good idea as well. You know, maybe you have some folks that are better with building support and communicating versus other folks who are you know, technical gurus who are automating and, and sort of doing that that really hardcore technical work. So, yeah. Brilliant. 
And I think on that subject, we've seen the security folks that are sitting in, in the back of the room, configuring the Unix servers, at least back in my days, <laughs> and saying no, and blocking firewall ports to get a little bit more out in the industry and getting more embedded in the organization as a whole. So I've seen an enormous change in the industry, and I believe you have as well. What do you think maybe on, on those back on the, on the training new folks, on those upskilling, reskilling program. Have you seen much in the US? We start seeing those programs growing, especially in popularity here in the UK and in Europe in general. And we see some good success story out of those. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there are nonprofits here as well who focus on growing talent, you know, giving folks a chance um, that they might not otherwise have to train and take uh, certification tests Etc. All on the dime of the nonprofit mm-hmm. uh, that builds that skill set. It makes them valuable in the industry. You know, they're they're uh, ready to hire in an entry level job. Those initiatives, I I just think are great. It gives people a chance that they wouldn't have otherwise, um, and that's exactly what we need. And, and those, those initiatives are brilliant. I have a couple of friends that run, especially those retraining program for veteran. And I was actually discussing with a couple of them and. Uh, especially diving deeper on on how they reapply the skills that they already know, like business resiliency or fire drills or things that are traditionally not taught in cyber. And they find it impressively quick to actually readapt those particular skills in in a field of cybersecurity. So it always it always mind blowing uh, for them and for me how how they can reapply a lot of things. Yeah, I think that's good. I, I think that's one thing I would I would want to see more of is people being comfortable with themselves and what they mm-hmm. bring to the table that's unique. You know, I, I think we see like imposter syndrome and people thinking that they need to be a certain person or way or personality or something to fit. But, you know, from a leadership standpoint, I'm looking for you and what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Unique. You don't have to fit the mold of you know, the typical cybersecurity person. And I don't want you to. I want you to come with your own strengths and your own unique approach. That's that's the key, I think, to creatively solving the problems that we see in cybersecurity. You know, it's uh, you can't solve problems with, at the same level that you created them, right? It's the, <laughs> quote. And I think that's absolutely true here too, you know? So we need to think about it differently, come at it from a different angle and that's, this is why I like talking about talent is because, you know, people can uniquely bring their own perspective to find a creative solution. And that should mm-hmm. be what we focus on. No, that's brilliant. And and on that point, how do you, in, in the organization, in your experience, how have you helped nourish or, or creating this safe pathway for, especially people that are new in the industry and they, and they want to reskill themselves? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity for encouragement and, and empathy and and not trying to fit around the mold like we were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. trying to really see and understand them as a person, as a unique person, and then figuring out how their unique skill set can fit into the goals that you're trying to accomplish. Right. And maybe it's even in a different way. You know, I, there's a lot of companies <laughs> that just they just have this template. If you don't fit the template, you're out. I really don't think that's the way to do it. I think you should be listening closely in each of your interviews and open up your mind 
how could this person help? Oh, I'd never thought of it that way. Maybe that would be a great thing to bring into our organization and, and pursue. You know, so I really think it comes down to listening, having empathy, and really trying to see everybody's unique value. Um, skills can be skills be can be learned, you know, by by the right people if they have that growth mindset and they're hungry and wanting to learn. You know, you can certainly work with that. No, that that's brilliant. And what are the stories maybe you've seen where, especially, on, I, I like that point where you were surprised when you think about an approach. And then all of a sudden, somebody come from out of the box left field and propose something different. Do you have an aha story of like, I never thought about that or or like, I would have never thought about that in a million of years because each one of us is, is kind of wired on, on a track of, of their own experience, right? Yeah, I've seen some unique approaches and ideas when it comes to engaging other people, which mm -hmm. uh, we all know is necessary, right? We can put all the tools in the world into our environment, but who is actually going to fix the issues that right. those tools express? How do you build a culture of security? Like, It's very important to engage people. And I've just heard a lot of really creative ideas coming from, you know, security, the security awareness person has an idea for how to, you know, increase attendance at the security champion meeting, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been neat. One particular idea, because I know that you're going for a detail here, <laughs> um, which I'll share, which I really like is, you know, in order to encourage attendance in our monthly security champion meetings, mm -hmm. one idea that somebody had was to have a wheel of fortune that's made okay. up of people at the last meeting that you spin. And then if your name is chosen, you have to be present at the current meeting to win the prize. Okay, which creates this feedback loop mm -hmm. where you go to a meeting and then you think, well, okay, well, I better go to the next one because now I'm going to be on that Wheel of Fortune list. So I might win and I don't want my name to be called if I'm not there, you know, <laughs> that, would, that would be too bad. So you go to the next meeting and you see the Wheel of Fortune and then you think, well, I better go to the next meeting as well because my name's going to be on that list. You know, and it just kind of creates this uh, this nice habit of going mm -hmm. to every meeting. And um, it did increase the attendance, you know, which is great. And, and frankly, sometimes people need that extrinsic motivator to just get them to the table, right? Mm -hmm. You have to provide value. Like if, you're, if your training meeting is not relevant for them and kind of sucks and, you know, your speaker is not that great and all of that, there's no substance there. There's no depth. Mm -hmm. That's not going to keep them coming, right? So you have to have that depth. But sometimes you also need those little bumps, you not know, those little like encouragement, you know, and ex sometimes extrinsic rewards work well for that, you know, just show up, you know, we'll make it worth your while. Mm -hmm. But here's a little reward that you could potentially win as well if you show up, you know, and I, I find those methods to work quite well. So positive reinforcements and, and raffle. <laughs> Yeah, there's and it's a, fairly simple. how humans are wired. I mean, we, you know, the whole uh, random prize thing you know, is, is exciting for people. Mm -hmm. 
This episode is brought to you by the generosity of AppSec Phoenix Limited. AppSec helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security problems by using smart data aggregation and complex machine learning software. Discover how AppSec Phoenix helps CISO and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at www.appsecphoenix.com. AppSec Phoenix is the new and smart dev-first way to manage your software vulnerability. Follow the tag, hashtag AppSecSmart. How much you've seen people that come from the psychology or human behavior aspects succeed in, in security? Because all, all, all you mentioned is fundamentally trying to lure in people and doing something that they have to and they want to, but with a will or, or wanting it rather than just pure, well, I'll tell you that there is a policy to actually do that. Yeah, I think those concepts should be more integrated into what we do because at the end of the day, we are trying to make a change. Mm-hmm. If everything was perfect at the organizations that we work, they wouldn't need us, right? right. So it, it's about change and it's about uh, encouraging the people in the organization to do things because the cybersecurity team is small. We're not able to run around and secure the environment ourselves alone. We need help from others. So how do we encourage people to engage in the tools and fix things and, and work with us. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, psychological, motivational concepts need to be more integrated into security in general because of that. Like the, the more we understand people, the more we can find ways to encourage them to be more secure. Right. And maybe on, on, the, on the flip side, where have you seen the traditional mentality approach that has tr- tremendously failed on an initiative without naming names or where have you seen something that was like okay let's let's just follow the policy route let's just inform everybody that needs to do the the, the, the right things and drastically fail because everybody didn't go with it yeah there there's a example i'm not going to name names or companies or anything mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's very top of mind for me because it's one of the reasons I wanted to get into security. Like we were talking about earlier, it wasn't because I thought it was awesome and everybody was doing everything right. And I wanted to be part of it. It was to help fix it, you know, and it's because I've been on the other side. Right. And like we were saying before, the mentality of, you know, blame and, and stopping releases because of things and not really working with others, but just pointing things out and then walking, you know, dropping a nugget, walking away, you know, in general, I've just seen that not be effective. And I've Mm -hmm. on the other side of it, you know, regardless of the conversations the security team was having, which is probably something like, let's just push them harder or whatever it is. The other side of it was, you know, the security team is getting in our way they're uh, blocking this release. They're not helpful. They're not giving us the resources we need. They just expect us to know things magically without really helping us or guiding us. And, you know, for that reason, there's cynicism. There's just a general feeling of this is not working. It's not effective. Mm-hmm. Even, even so far as like resistance, like I don't want to even bring the security team in to what I'm building. Right. Because I don't, I don't want to go through that. And that's the so, most dangerous thing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I've seen that firsthand and that's certainly something that we're getting better at, but I certainly want to be part of 
pushing security teams toward a better way. Mm -hmm. And then maybe on that subject, first of all, that was a great example. And, and on that subject, how do you nourish empathy? How do you, because it's, it's sometimes it's very frustrating because the traditional approach, you go to a team of development and they say, well, demonstrate me that those things are bad. If there isn't the right culture, that that tend to be the de facto answer and the security team needs to work like four times as hard to then demonstrate. And sometimes the, the objective is, you know, only, I'll demonstrate you everything without understanding that the real subject is, it's not really important for me. I'll give you the default non-seller answer of like, come back later. <laughs> I actually, that, that's my pet fever. I, uh, the more the more I get into this rabbit hole of sales, the more I find cybersecurity answer and program of work to be very much relate to a lot of stuff and a lot of behavior. And it all goes back to psychology. But back on that point, how do you how do you throw the first stone, or how do you just smash that glass ceiling or that glass wall that traditionally is is the first input to the, to a program of work? You know, if you're first upset person. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing to talk about here is that you do have to provide value as a security team. It does not work to you know be a nice, friendly, kind person without providing value and without advancing the business objectives, uh, et cetera. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to make sure you're well-studied, you're up with the latest trends. You know, it's a constant thing for all of us. It's not easy, but that's extremely important. Now that said, having that, knowing what needs to be done and taking that position of mentorship, et cetera, it's about soft skills, right? It's about listening. It's about getting on the same train that they are, understanding what are they trying to accomplish. And yeah, just just really listening to them and and make making sure that the value and the, the advice that you're providing is in their context. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that without listening. Right. Yeah. If you just again drop another nugget like, hey, sh you should be doing this and you just like leave, you know, that doesn't actually help them. You have to understand what they're trying to accomplish first so your advice can be relevant for them. And then that builds that partnership. It's a push-pull. You know, it's very much a give-and-take, you know, type of situation where mm -hmm. you're providing them value, they're helping you learn the system, you're learning more as a security person, they're learning more about security. I think that's the way to go. And it's one relationship at a time. You know, every yeah. single interaction that you have with your engineers is an opportunity and should be looked at that way. So starting small, start building the case, start working with the team and then building the relationship and demonstrate value. But Absolutely. Yep. And that's where security champions come in too. You know, finding your allies, finding people that are interested in security to begin with across your organization and work starting to work closely with them. Mm -hmm. How do you start building the relationship with an ally? Or how do you, how do you, what are the things that you've, identify as a security professional into a developer to say, okay, this is a good supporter in this particular team for my initiative. Is that core quality? Is that attention to the detail? Is that empathy? What are the triggers that you say, okay, I need to work with him specifically because he can be a supporter in my team. He's going to be my champion in that team. Totally. There are certainly signs. Uh, a lot of them have to do with quality, like we were talking about before. <laughs> do they have a like hack mindset like i'm just mm -hmm. gonna make this work i don't really care about how it works i have a deadline to meet let's just do this 
may not be a great candidate yet. Maybe they need to grow a little more in their career, et cetera, which is completely fine, right? Mm-hmm. Other people have, you know, they start with really caring about the system that they're building. You know, is this going to work in the long term? Is this resilient? What if this happens? You know, thinking about edge cases, thinking about maintainability. I want to write this in a way that is easy for future developers to maintain. Mm-hmm. You know, those that kind of mindset is like fertile ground for security, you know, wow. and the obvious one is they already care about security. They're writing <laughs> security test cases. You know, that's an easy one. But uh, yeah, but I think that quality focus, you know, the, those folks are also going to make great allies for you initially. Now, those are, those are really great points. But on, on what you were saying, I quote, I quote, I think that is another one of my pet peeves that is the security test case that is very similar to QA, just, just to remain on the same subject of security and quality is definitely the same thing. How have you started seeing those elements actually improving drastically the quality of software? Is that, is that worth spending time on? Specifically on security test cases, mm-hmm. you're asking? Yeah. You know, it's about, it's about validation. I can't think of a better future eventual task for a security team that already has a great security culture. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're engineering organization is already doing a great job at writing secure code. Right. You know, great. Like you've seen examples, they're doing the right things, they're doing input validation, they're thinking about SQL injection, they're thinking about all this stuff. Fantastic. Now it's about validation, which is a big piece of where the security team should continue to sit, you know, Mm -hmm. indefinitely. It's like that extra check, like a QE team, right? Quality engineering team. You know, it's that extra warm and fuzzy that, you know, Everything we're putting in place, threat modeling, all these activities, training are having an effect. Mm-hmm. And you need to validate your systems to assure yourself that it's making a difference. Security test cases are part of that. You know, it's it's about validating. It's not just, hey, we did a threat model check. We did the right secure coding practices based on the standards check. But how do you validate that? Right? Mm-hmm. You write a test case, you know. We're all human. I will admit that, you know, unit tests have caught me in the in the past with a mistake that I was going to make, you mm-hmm. know, like the value of a good unit test became screamingly clear in that moment where I was like, I know what I'm doing. Do to do, you know, I'm a profession. Uh, <laughs> the tests run and there's an issue. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. Whoops. Like I completely screwed that <laughs> up. And without that unit test case, who knows? You know, that mm-hmm. would have continued on and become fixed later eventually when it's more expensive. Wow. Um, and frankly, you know, if we're going to talk about developer mindset. I mean, one of the biggest things I learned as a developer is, is humility. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're not as smart as you think. Because when you start coding something, the computer is perfect. The computer is going to do whatever you tell it to do. Okay. So as much as you want to blame the computer, like, no, I totally coded that right. It's the computer (laughs) that messed this up. Computer say no. (laughs) As much as you want to do that, it's actually you that messed up. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like being a developer to me was a constant like, you suck, you suck, try again. That didn't work. You know what I mean? It's very, it's, it just creates this humility that 
I wouldn't have otherwise, you know? Right. So. But also frustration. Yeah. And those, my point is those test cases help you do that. They catch yourself, mm-hmm. right? It's a way to validate that what you think you built is actually what you built. Brilliant. And on, so you mentioned two or three things, you know, the security champion program, the collaboration, the unit tests, few other initiatives, all that are expensive for a business. So if it's not important for the business, those things will never happen. And my question is, how do you then on the opposite side, make it important for the business into more individual initiative and, and demonstrate more ROI now that we're going into a field where it's been more challenging to do this if you want seen as leisure activity, but actually critically fundamental for the organization, like non-business critical, but actually business critical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are there are lagging indicators of poor quality and coding practices that, mm-hmm. you, can, that you can make a case to the business in terms of you got to speak their language. You know, this is costing us money to fix this type of production issue over and over that's indicating a core problem with our process, et cetera, is expensive. And you can put Mm -hmm. dollar values on that. You know the salaries of the developers that are making those fixes every sprint, right? And you you do have to put things into that context for for things to happen. I've fought, you know, for better uh, technical debt practices, you know, and and that kind of stuff by making that case. And, And yeah, I mean, you know, because it's the right thing to do is really not going to cut. <laughs> you have to make that business case. And, you know, using the NIST study of fixing something in production is is 30 times more expensive than fixing mm-hmm. it during design. And, you know, learning those statistics and, and, and using those, you know, how do you justify training is, a, is another big one that it's hard to make that business case, but you can do it right. in a context of, how many vulnerabilities are you preventing every year, which, you know, you can put a monetary value on that as well and show that you do get an ROI from your training tool. So, yeah, it's about just th- thinking about it in that way. To measurement statistics and ROI or thinking like a business to actually make the business yeah. go on which the means putting it, Yeah, which means putting it in terms of money. Mm. You know, what is the real cost here to us and our business? A loss no. of reputation, you know, um, a loss of a customer because you're not meeting their security standards. What did that just cost you, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of missed revenue, you know, and, and what can you turn around and invest back into your company so that the next one doesn't get away? You know, that right. to me is a direct correlation that you can that you can draw. You know, there's a lot of other factors. That's why I used correlation as opposed to causation. You can't just say <laughs> 100% because security is good that they, you know, jumped on. But um, well, certainly it depends. It does. Because if you lose something, you know, if you lose a deal explicitly because of a security concern, you can certainly make that case. That's probably highlighting the fact that this is so blatantly obvious and so blatantly out there. Like, yeah, you have an expired cert on your main website. That's probably call up for a different culture and, and business case in the board yeah. rather than uh, the individual activity, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it comes down to that. Like, you know, I've had some conversations recently around, well, how do you measure the success of your program, your security mm-hmm. program as a whole? And a lot of it comes down to perception 
from the customer. You know, just focusing on simple things like, are you trying to find risk in your environment? You know, yes or no. What do you do when you find risk? How quickly do you uh, remediate it? You know, these are things that give your customers confidence mm-hmm. that you have a program that's effective, et cetera. And even if you don't have the tools in place or whatever to find every single potential security issue, that's okay. You know, you've right. given your customer confidence and that's what you needed to accomplish. And, and uh, that's what won the deal. No, that's that's brilliant. And that's that might work very well in you know, traditional enterprise or large organization or more experience, but how do we, you know, there is, there is a lot of startup out there that produce IoT, that produce device that, you know, sends codes out there and there is more of it. How do we help also VC and other organizations to actually put a blocker in fundamentally those kind of quality? Because fundamentally a startup is deploy, 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 make people pay especially if they don't have anybody from a security background, their main objective is, is shipping fast. And, you know, we'll worry about security when, you know, we'll ask somebody ask our security questionnaire. <laughs> yeah, I have some opinions around this. I mean, the first goal of your business as a startup is not necessarily to be, you know, to have perfect security. Mm-hmm. Right? It's to build something that people want to buy. Like if, you know, if you don't have a business at all, there's nothing to secure. So your first focus <laughs> needs to be on succeeding, you know, and and demonstrating market fit, building a product that customers like that work the way uh, it wants, you know, they want it to work. And only then when you've demonstrated that value, that's when you need to protect what you've built. And that's when it's important to come back around, do a second pass and secure it. You know, you you really can't spend your time focusing on 100% security while you're trying to build that initial value. But that second step is something that people miss. You know, Mm -hmm. they get into the mindset of like, build it, get it out there, grow, 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 new feature, new feature, new feature, customers asking for this. And they just keep doing that. (laughs) <laughs> and their company grows and grows based on that model until they turn around and realize their security, you know, is not adequate and mm-hmm. they have a whole lot of debt to catch up. Right. So what I would recommend is initially find your market fit, you know, build a great product. But then as soon as you validate that, as soon as you validate that you have a customer, a paid customer, a few paid customers coming on board, go back around, take a pass and protect what you've built. You know, you now have risk. Like if you mm-hmm. put a product into the world that nobody's buying yet, there's no revenue. Uh, there's no risk. You, there's no risk. Yeah. What What are you protecting exactly? Mm-hmm. You know, you're protecting maybe IP, which is a good case. You know, you should certainly think about that. But the risk to your business is minimal. Um, mm-hmm. So you need to match your security effort with your level of risk, just like with mm-hmm. a large company. So if you have a lot of IP, yeah. Bump up that security to protect it. Now, I like I like how you spin it on on the risk perspective because it's I find it a good way and a good benchmark of increasingly making that bar higher and higher and higher as you have more data to protect, more client to protect, more sensitive data. But on the opposite side, you need that initial input. So I saw two or three VC that are actually starting asking 
what is your PCP strategy, what is your security strategy as part of that due diligence for the round or later round, I guess, for early stage, as you rightfully say, it's not necessarily product market fit. There is other risks that are there to exist. There's existential risk. A later stage is particularly important. So I agree with you. It's it's a good balance between risk and perspective. But as as we're coming close to to the time, unfortunately, you know that we can speak about this for forever. <laughs> but we have a tradition in the podcast that we traditionally ask or, or live with a positive message on where we're going and how we're going. We we talked a lot about you know doom and gloom and also positive things. So there are a lot of positive nuggets, I think, on on the show and on this episode. But if you want to leave our audience with a last uh, food for thoughts. What would that be, Dustin? I think I'm going to match the theme that we've stumbled on during this episode. And it's that we're going the right direction when it comes to building partnerships, providing value, and being solution-focused as a security industry. And I would just like to encourage us to continue down that path, build good relationships, You know, make sure you're providing that value. And that's um, ultimately where I think security needs to go to succeed. Brilliant. Dustin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Last questions. You're running a show. You're running your own community. Where can people find you, the community that you're running, where they can listen to your thought? I know you share a lot on LinkedIn. How do people best find what you on, on the web? Yeah, great. Thank- I appreciate you bringing this up. So. Certainly look me up on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with folks. I love talking about this stuff, obviously, uh, as we just <laughs> did for a while. So always happy to just have, you know, chats about anything that's on your mind, any questions, etc. I do run a meetup group called Let's Talk Software Security. And we meet every month. It's an open discussion on a specific topic. And it's a whole lot of fun. We spend two hours and that's not even enough time. I feel like we go right to the end every time and everybody still has things to talk about. So it's a whole lot of fun. You can find that on meetup.com. You can search for Let's Talk Software Security. You can also search uh, uh, my posts on it. I do post it on LinkedIn every, every time. So... Yeah, so come join us. It's all a lot of fun. Fantastic. Looking forward for the next for the next meetup. And there is also a Slack community where we tend to talk extensively afterwards. <laughs> Absolutely. Brilliant. Dustin, thank you very much for coming on the show. Everybody, don't get scared in getting in the security field. It's a step-by-step. Find a leader like Dustin that nurture and guide you through and you know, take that leap of faith. Everybody, stay safe and find a mentor. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. Take care. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com. 